This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. China has been one of the most important countries of focus regarding climate change and the impact of emissions being sent in the air. The country said it was going to be changing its standards at coal plants to deal with the release of sulfur dioxide. The measurements do show change, but just how much? A recent report by people at MIT has looked into exactly how much change there has been. Valerie Carplus is an assistant professor of global economics and management at MIT, and she is one of the authors of the report. She joins us on the phone, as does Eric Ortz, professor of legal studies and business ethics at the Wharton School. He's also director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. And also joining us, Jackson Ewing, who is a senior fellow for environmental policy at the Nicholas Institute, as well as an adjunct associate professor in public policy at Duke University. Great to have you all with us. Valerie, Eric, uh, Jackson, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Valerie, take us through your report and and the changes you were seeing and how you were able to gauge some of these changes. Sure. So uh, what my co-authors and I are doing in the study is really uh, trying to understand how coal-fired power plants in China responded to this new SO2 emission standard. It was part of a suite of standards uh, that were introduced over several years, and we focus on sulfur dioxide, which is a major local air pollutant. These standards were introduced in July of 2014, and what we're able to do is to use two different measurements. One is an independent measure from satellites, um, and the other is a plant-level measure of SO2 uh, pollution. And what we're doing is we're comparing a re- whether or not uh, we're looking at how these measures change around the policy deadline and whether or not they match up. So, for example, um, in the plant-level measures, we find, on average, uh, SO2 pollution dropped um, by 13.9% at power plants. And so that's significant. But when we look at the satellite measures, we can start to get an independent check on what that's telling us. And and basically, we find... uh, a drop in both the plant and satellite measures, but the correspondence between the two data sets is much lower in regions that implement the toughest new standards. Well, the, the satellite part of it intrigued me when I, when I was going through this. Uh, and give us an example as to how exactly you're able to use satellites to project these changes. So what we're basically just doing is picking up changes as they happen on the ground. Uh, so satellite, these are uh, satellites... Uh, by uh, NASA's satellites that are uh, orbiting the Earth um, constantly. So basically what they're able to do is to pick up changes in air pollution um, as well as a a range of substances, Um, but they do also measure air pollutants. So this is the ozone monitoring instrument, um, which is a a satellite, again, uh, a NASA satellite that's basically giving us a a very – uh, inc- well, over the years, that uh, this instrument has really improved to the point where we can um, can get very accurate measures, uh, get a good sense um, on sort of a monthly to annual time scale of emissions that are occurring around power plants. And so this is um, able to help us. It's been used in the past to understand mm-hmm. emissions in the U.S., and now we can 
uh, increasingly they're being used to look at emissions in China. Well, and Eric, we've talked a lot about China, but, you know, from your perspective, globally in a variety of different locations, how important is understanding the changes that could be going on in China, not only for that country, but in comparison to what we may see in other countries around the world? Yes, Dan. Uh, this, well, this is uh, extremely important research. And as Valerie was indicating, uh, what's interesting about the research is that you're taking uh, NASA satellite data and the remote sensing capacity is really expanding significantly. And it's really, if you compare where we are today from 20 years ago, it's just, uh, it's just completely different. So this is one example of how remote sensing from NASA satellites and other, other countries have satellites with this capability as well can look at the Earth and basically detect, are you complying with the laws that you say you're complying with or not? And so that's what's interesting here is that the, um, is that the study that M, uh, Valerie and her co-authors have done is basically says, okay, let's look at what the Chinese government is actually reporting, what the plants are actually reporting on the ground. Uh, and they're using a, you know, a standard method of checking the, checking the stacks and seeing how much sulfur dioxide you're putting into the atmosphere. They've had a significant uh, regulatory push. And so on the one hand, it's showing, yes, there's success. And so they're doing, to some extent, what they're saying they're doing. But the other thing that this uh, that this uh, that the study shows is that in some cases they're not doing that. So in some cases the data from the satellites is inconsistent with the data on the ground. And so the best uh, I think the best uh, conclusion from that is that there's falsification or some kind of underreporting going on mm -hmm. in some key areas. So this actually is a very important. You know, then, then we can dig into some of uh, the lessons of of what happened there. So one, one lesson is that if you try to regulate very heavily and essentially, I mean, one, and this is speculative, but one conclusion from this is that the key areas that where you really wanted to, where the Chinese government wanted to regulate heavily, for example, in Beijing, around Beijing and Shanghai, where you had very serious problem with air pollution, essentially they were not able to do it. And so one, one hypothesis would be they just kind of gave up and said, okay, we're not going to be able to do, we're not, be, we're not going to be able to control this much, so we kind of may as well throw up our hands and maybe figure out some way to not get in trouble for it. Whereas some other areas where it was a little bit of a more moderate target, it seems that the satellite data confirms the on-the-ground uh, reporting that basically there was success. So that leads us to think about some lessons that we can draw from that for other kinds of, for not only China, but uh, other countries as well, including the U.S. Jackson, how, how have you uh, viewed the, the, the reporting here by MIT? Well, uh, thank you, Dan. Let me just begin by reacting to Eric's final point about regulating heavily, creating some perverse disincentives for action and actually running counter to your own environmental regulatory goals. It's a point I completely agree with, and I would just add to it by saying that um, some of China's regulations in the past couple of years that have taken uh, fairly onerous approaches um, to quickly reducing the number of pollutant uh, of, of heavy air pollution days, particularly in major metropolitan areas, have had those unintended consequences uh, of also leading to factory temporary shutdowns and even uh, the shutdown of, of heating 
in cold months when households really need uh, that heat with some obvious human impacts there. Uh, so while China's climate change and domestic environmental goals and stricter regulation is certainly laudable, you do see these sorts of second and third order effects that include uh, potentially uh, not putting forward numbers that we can believe in um, and, and also uh, having some sorts of consequences beyond the environmental sector for human development and uh, and economic growth, improvements of quality of life, uh, that uh, certainly we would like to to see rolled back. Uh, my primary reaction to the work of Valerie and her colleagues on this uh, topic, in addition that that kind of hasn't, I think, been emphasized by the two other speakers here, is the importance of monitoring, measuring, reporting, verifying in today's environmental policy landscape. Uh, from the international United Nations-led efforts on climate change on down to China's own domestic goals. I think measurement has really never been more important. We essentially have created a system uh, in which we are just calling upon countries to, in good faith, report what they are doing on greenhouse gas mitigation and to come forward to their international peers on a regular basis using similar sorts of methodologies for measuring and showing the results of their efforts. Uh, it's through that measuring and reporting that we will have the kind of fundamental uh, starting point for negotiations and discussions about how targets, goals, efforts can be scaled up, how resources can be shared, how cooperation can take hold. So if that core reporting is problematic or is inaccurate, uh, then the entire system rests on uh, a house of cards. Uh, I think there's certainly an acknowledgment of that in the international and uh, domestic conversations, uh, domestic here in this case being in China. Um, but with that said, it's these sorts of um, second and third party reviews of the actions as they are declared that can be really important. And I think that this use of, of satellite monitoring is a great example of how we can make progress there. Well, Valerie, obviously this is a, a you know a unique way to be able to to monitor this. Uh, and obviously with the you know the types of technology that we have, I, I mean it I think we're we're kind of opening the door into into other ways to be able to do monitoring to make sure that people are following along with policy initiatives. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's important to work with the tools that we already have. And one of the innovations in our paper is to actually present uh, as a resource for the research community uh, and the policy community, plant level real-time measures. I mean, air pollution, um, the effects of air pollution on human health really depend on the timing of emissions. So being able right. to resolve emissions over time on an hourly basis is incredibly important uh, to thinking about uh, you know, when, where, and how these plants are, are, are cleaning up. And so uh, we, uh, you know, I think that's laudable that in China those measures, uh, those monitoring systems, continuous emissions monitoring systems, or SEMs they're called, are being used on a fairly wide basis, and uh, there are plans to scale that up. So ensuring that the quality of data that comes from those sensors uh, could be, uh, you know, you could imagine multiple outside sources in addition to satellite data that might help you to check that. For example, um, ambient air quality monitors that are uh, 
set up by cities and environmental bureaus could be important. But again, those are still subject to uh, human oversight. And so, um, so, it, so I think it's really important that we, uh, we use as many measures as we have yeah. and then think about how to get more independent measures. Um, uh, and I think we're seeing that also in efforts to set up, for example, China's emissions trading system, their efforts to do third and fourth party verification checks on yeah. plant reported data. Well, and the other part to it is the fact that you're actually getting the data. And a lot of people, Valerie, would have been yes. wondering whether or not China was going to be forthcoming in general uh, of, of providing actual data that shows that, OK, yes, this is what we promised and, and this is the path we're going down, uh, you know, that, that that shows we are. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, I think that it's it's really important um, that you know that we acknowledge how far China has come in making data more available um, and more transparent, uh, both to a domestic and to uh, an international scholarly audience. I think it's um, you know this is just one study in many that has been able to benefit. I think from the abundance of data that's made available now online uh, or. Uh, published by the government on its own, for example, energy efficiency programs. I mean, there's always a long way to go, but I think, right. um, you know, we're seeing encouraging progress and, here. And, and Eric, that's exactly the point I wanted to bring up to you, is that there, you know, this, there are benefits here, but there is still a very long way to go for China to reach the levels that, uh, that, that they have said that they will get to and that the international community expects them to get to. Yeah, I think that's correct. But I think, um, you know, there is a positive aspect of the study, and that is that there's significant amounts of compliance. So uh, we have now NASA satellite verification that the Chinese data, at least for many of these plants, is, is, is essentially correct. There's these other kinds of, there's other cases where we have some other implications, and it doesn't look like the data is correct. But I think um, uh, looking at the larger picture, I think it's really very exciting to see this kind of research because what you essentially have is um, an example of what Ronald Reagan used to call um, uh, trust but verify. And you're not only having that with respect to China, but, you know, you can apply this to the same uh, to other countries. So you might even look in, in the United States at the moment. I think there's some concern that uh, the secretary, you know, the, our secretary at, or the administrator at the EPA uh, might not be so keen on enforcing the basic uh, environmental laws in the country. And so it's not just China, but it's, it's the United States. It's other countries where you're starting to have levels of checking. As, as Valerie indicated, you can also have communities that are checking ambient air quality standards. So in Philadelphia, we have ozone quality standards, and it's pretty, right. it's pretty, uh, we, our, our report, if you look at the Philadelphia government report, it's pretty clear that, and, and I think there's a general consensus that information is correct, but lots of other countries don't really have the same reliable information confirming that the confirming where you are on these things. And so this is really exciting that you have this other level of remote sensing that gives researchers another tool to say, okay, you know, how close are we on various kinds of uh, pollution controls? And as Valerie indicated, this is not just kind of climate change issues, which also have health effects, but some of these kinds of problems are immediate uh, life-threatening kinds of uh, air pollution problems. And so uh, it looks like we're going to make some progress, and there's a lot of research still to be done, but it's really exciting research, and I think it will be followed by other 
similar kinds of research in the future. Valerie, how prevalent is the use of these monitoring systems, not only in, in China, but in other countries at this point? So many countries have installed SEMS on power plants, and uh, I think one of the major questions is, is what, are, what is the coverage of those systems within countries? So right. even in China, there are many, many plants that do not have uh, these SEMS monitors, these uh, continuous emissions monitors. And so um, I think uh, the, the stakes are really high in China because China is the world's largest energy user, uses uh, a lot of coal, uh, nearly 80% of uh, electricity production comes from coal in China. And so uh, many people live in close proximity to power plants. When it comes to local air pollution, uh, it's, it's really important um, to, to get the information out and to do that in a real-time fashion. So um, we're hopeful that uh, this study will have an impact on showing how important it is to have uh, monitoring systems um, that can be independently checked, for example, by satellite data, um, and that that information uh, can uh, also, I think, as Jackson pointed out, we've got um, – it's really important uh, that those um, – that those – that the information that's being made available um, in the SEM systems is – is supported by uh, you know, strong penalties um, for, that would punish falsification, for example, of that data or um, inaccurate reporting. Uh, and that's something that China has made progress on in, in terms of its um, environmental laws in recent years as well, um, putting more emphasis on, um, on detecting and, and punishing mis misreporting uh, of environmental data. So I think uh, so, so we can continue to measure progress, but we need to expand these systems. Um, now, globally, uh, the U.S. Uh, importantly has um, continuous emissions monitoring, um, both for greenhouse gases as well as for uh, local air pollutants. And this is, uh, I think, uh, really kind of uh, signals, uh, you know, kind of the state of the art. Um, uh, Europe also, many countries have these systems in place. Uh, so. So, I, you know, in China doesn't yet uh, cover CO2 as part of its uh, monitoring systems on coal power plants. Right. I think uh, there's, you know, you could uh, think of a, no a number of other ways that the systems could generally be improved. But the two main points are coverage, um, uh, both of pollutants as well as of plants. Well, and, and Jackson, playing off something you had said and, and Valerie brought up is the fact that, you know, we're not exactly in, a, in an environment right now where uh, we are not expecting that cheating never happens. I mean, go back to the VW uh, scandal with the, with, the, with the defeat devices on the emissions of those mm. vehicles. I mean, this is something that is unfortunately prevalent in our society. Sure, that that's correct, and I think that's the the very reason in which, or the very reason for which we need to have these sorts of uh, nascent and innovative tools to try to uh, at least double check much of what's being reported, uh, and it will also allow us to be uh, less cynical about the reporting that we do see and the numbers that are published uh, publicly by government sources, uh, and which, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier. It's essential for the entire system for us to be able to to at least have uh, a large a large degree of trust there. Uh, you know, when we're talking about um, China's goals and and whether it's on the track to to meet them, 
I think that China is typically quite reticent to put forward targets that they uh, do that they think they'll have an enormous difficulty reaching. So when China declares that it seeks to peak its overall greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, for example, or increase its energy, or excuse me, decrease its energy intensity 60 to 65 percent by that same year over previous 2005 levels, it, it only does so once it's really vetted its own capabilities to make that sort of a transition. Uh, and then it goes about disaggregating that goal into its various five-year plans. And that's, to a large extent, what we're seeing on its current environmental trajectory, both from governance perspective and also from um, its incentivization of new forms of energy, its gradual but steady rollback of coal, um, albeit from, as Valerie mentioned, very very high levels. Uh, many of the challenges come up, I think, in the in the shorter term, and the shorter term can be very important, especially when we're talking about China's national emissions trading system, which was softly launched in late 2017. Uh, when we're talking about actual quarterly reporting in a particular municipality, um, that's where you're going to see a lot of pressure to report outputs that are consistent with the targets and regulations that have been placed upon you. Um, and as uh, Eric mentioned earlier, uh, it's here where we do have the risks of having regulators and officials run into problems and saying, okay, well, we're not going to meet our targets. Uh, what now? How can we, how can we circumvent that uh, while remaining, while retaining face and retaining our own career prospects and retaining um, uh, our own um, good faith governance? Eric? Yeah, well, I think, I think that's correct. Uh, um, I, I, one, other, uh, one other element I'd like to raise here is also the, the, the larger question of uh, where this research is pointing toward, and that is that we're improving remote sensing in general. And uh, I think this is extremely important to think about from a global perspective, so especially in a, in a world where the U.S. has stood back from the Paris Agreement. But I think eventually the U.S. will come back in. The rest of the country, uh, rest of the world is still in, of course, and most of the state, you know, most of our states are still in. But one one area that I see in this is what I would, what I would call global environmental governance. As you're starting to see a question of like where do, where is the best. Um, Where's the best investment made at the global level? If you think about what the UN should be supporting or focusing on, or, or the international scientific community, and it seems to me that remote sensing is and the verification of the data is one thing that we really rely on, kind of global science to tell us, right? So there's always this question of, can we really believe uh, the Chinese government report, or can you believe what the EPA is going to say? Uh, if, the, if it's signaling that it might not be as reliable as it used to be. And so if you, as you have a scientific community that is now using these new tools that are, that are based on remote sensing, then uh, on the one hand, you, you still need, uh, need on-the-ground enforcement about, you know, if you're saying you're, you have X emissions, that's really the truth. And if you lie to the government, then that's punishable. You have to have that kind of level of, of, of uh, rule of law values. But you're also, I think it's very important to have at a global level, especially if you're talking about problems like climate change uh, or other kind of very widespread air pollution problems, that as you have this remote sensing technology becoming uh, more widely available, um, more sophisticated, uh, and what's amazing to me about this study is, is how well it can be targeted, right. right? That you can look at, you can break down, okay, these plants are basically 
complying, and these, these plants somewhere else, the larger plants seem to have complied more quickly than smaller plants, then you, you are able to then uh, focus your policy development better because you have research driving uh, what, are, what, what my dad used to call true facts. <laughs> yeah. you, know, they, you, you have an agreement about the <laughs> science because that's all the scientists are doing. They're just looking at the facts and reporting it. And then you have that, uh, you have that base for the policymakers to move forward and try to improve things on the ground. Valerie, where does this, uh, playing off of this research, where, where do you go next then? How do you continue the follow-up on this and, and continue to delve deeper in, into China specifically since uh, we all have you know, mentioned that, that they, are, you know, they are number one in terms of usage right now? That's a, a uh, thank you for the question. I, I think you know we're really excited about um, the prospects that uh, that Eric just highlighted. I think they're um, increasingly important ways um, and uh, detailed ways that that policy can be used to think uh, that these uh, remote sensing data can be used um, in informing policy and in understanding simply responses on the ground, uh, especially in um, in developing countries where. Um, there is a, a, a at least a, uh, in the past, there's a, you know, a widespread um, kind of a, 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 the idea that maybe um, rule of law is weak or that there are you know, challenges in, in governance um, in actually implementing standards um, on the ground level at plants. And so we're, yeah. the next thing that we want to do is actually uh, uh, use these data as a way of of understanding, uh, continuing to uh, to think about how how firms are responding uh, and changing their emitting behavior in response, not just to dedicated environmental policy, but also just to general changes um, in the uh, ongoing economic reforms and development trajectory of the country. I think it's it's um, important to realize that environmental policy doesn't exist in a vacuum, and that lots of uh, Supporting rules and and, uh, and sort of general institutions can have an impact on how uh, businesses manage uh, their environmental uh, footprint. And so, as we uh, you mentioned, you know, there will be a big focus on China in future work. We'd also like to take this back to um, to, to other countries. In particular, um, uh, the U.S. offers an opportunity. Um, uh, you know. We'll see if there are um, ways that we can start to understand the impacts of environmental, uh, of the rollback of environmental regulations in the U.S. on plants' behavior using similar techniques. So yeah. uh, I think these are universal um, and, and um, universally applicable tools uh, that have great potential to tell us more about what's really happening on the ground. Jackson, where do you think with, with this information from MIT and, and, and Valerie, and where do you think we are headed on a, on a policy perspective for dealing with a lot of these issues surrounding the environment? Well, I, you know, I, I think that we should note the positive potential impacts of this sorts of this sort of monitoring capability from the perspective of uh, the ammunition for a policymaker or a policymaking community is to demonstrate the benefits beyond uh, environmental certainly but beyond environmental uh, into realms of public health economic development new opportunities etc and some of Valerie's work on the co-benefits of different environmental and climate change regulations in China as well as 
as those of, of many others throughout the world, have demonstrated that with the sorts of energy transitions that climate change necessitates we take in the near term, there will be some short-term challenges and pain, certainly, but the, there will also be myriad opportunities that can come alongside it. Uh, and if we are able to effectively monitor the the impact of particular policies, we will have a better chance of uh, of measuring un and understanding what's working, um, what's working well, and what's working poorly uh, and adjusting our, our policies in turn as we go forward. China's a, a, a fascinating laboratory for that because they are currently uh, directing a number of different policies towards the same sorts of problems. They have command and control measures to curtail emissions from industries and transportation and everyday activities and housing, while they also have these market mechanisms such as feed-in tariffs, the emissions trading scheme, et cetera. Uh, what's working? What's having what effect? Um, and how can we scale up those that are, are having the largest impact, right. um, those that are having the greatest larger benefits to society? Uh, these, as with monitoring for the problems, monitoring for the benefits are universal tools that can be used across time uh, and across different contexts in developing and developed countries alike. Eric, your thoughts? Well, I just think it's great research, and I'm looking forward to uh, to, to the next generation of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I think uh, from a business perspective, I think this is also positive because if you think about a business that's looking at, in, uh, in doing in, – in acting in, – in how it's acting in different countries, one of the main things that you want is some consistency. So uh, as you have uh, regulation that's rolled out, for, whether it's for climate change or for other kinds of pollution problems, as this uh, study is looking at, uh, yeah, I think from a business perspective, you want consistency. You want to have uh, – you want to do business in, in places and governments with, that you can trust. And then from an economic perspective, you're also then getting the cost right, right, because you don't – what you don't want is to have a situation where – you're a business and you are complying with the local regulatory uh, scheme, and you're essentially losing uh, out to someone who is uh, who's cheating and, and who's gaming the situation or yeah. paying off a government official or whatever. So that that economically just doesn't work, right? You're gonna, you know, it's what you know, economists will call leakage with respect to. Uh, the, the the problem. So what you you the the prospect that you can have remote sensing that gives you. Uh, the ability to have uh, greater reliability, greater information, a level playing field for everyone uh, in terms of putting the, the costs of the externalities of pollution into the economic process and into the business calculations. I think for those businesses that care about the world and care about the future of the planet, this is really uh, very uh, positive research. And I hope that they would, uh, those who are, who are forward-thinking, would be supportive of this uh, research and supportive of these kinds of policy initiatives that's going to, I think, help to make the world a better place. Great having you all with us today. Thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you, Jackson. Valerie, great work. We look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you all. Eric Ortz from here at the Wharton School, Jackson Ewing, uh, Senior Fellow for Environmental Policy at the Nicholas Institute and also an adjunct at Duke University, and uh, Valerie Karplus of MIT. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.